fun to watch. Honest 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast series recaps, everybody. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Bobby Blanco. Thank you so much for tuning in and apologies again for last week's late posting of the Cardinals recap series. I hope you all still enjoy the episode. Um, We are back on our regular posting schedule now that the Nationals are on a five-game road trip, starting with three games against the Mets at City Field. Of course, this is the first matchup between these two teams. The first one that was scheduled uh, was supposed to take place opening weekend at Nationals Park. That obviously got postponed due to the COVID-19 outbreak with the Nationals. So they had to wait until this weekend in late April to get their rivalry underway. Entering the series, the Nationals were 7-9, and nine, just two games under 500, and actually only one game back in the National League East. So they had a shot to possibly finish the weekend in first place. Let's break it down. You know, the Nationals have been on the right side of some great pitching performances over the years. No hitters from Max Scherzer and Jordan Zimmerman, Steven Strasburg's debut, 20 strikeouts from Max. Though on Friday night, they were the victims of a stellar outing, this time by Jacob deGrom, who was unreal in an historic start for the New York Mets. deGrom pitched a 109-pitch, two-hit shutout in which he struck out 15 and did not issue a walk in a 6-0 Mets win. The two hits came early from Starling Castro and Andrew Stevenson, and that was it for the Nationals. The Nats have never been no hit since arriving in D.C. in 2005, and they still haven't, but this has to be one of the best pitching performances that this team has ever faced in their years here in Washington, D.C. In fact, the 15 strikeouts were the most ever for a Nats opponent in a single game since 2005. DeGrom became only the third pitcher in Major League history to strike out 14 or more batters in three consecutive starts and the first pitcher in Major League history to record 50 strikeouts over his first three starts to a season. He lowered his ERA to 0.31, and his strikeout-to-walk ratio is 50-3. to He was throwing his fastball between 100 and 101 miles per hour while mixing in his slider and his changeup. He was literally only hitting 90 miles per hour with all his pitches at least. By account, he only threw two pitches below 90 miles per hour, both were just a mere 89, and he was in the one came in the eighth inning and the other came in the ninth. So he was throwing heat for almost the entirety of this game. He also had two hits, a double, and an RBI at the plate in this game. And he has now recorded more RBIs than he's allowed earned runs, and he has more hits than he has issued walks. So DeGrom is on another planet right now, the best pitcher in the world. And Davey Martinez saying after the game, there's nothing much more you can do but tip your cap. Yeah, he was. Um... Yeah, he was he was locating everything. Um, kept the ball down for the most part, and uh, I've been in this uh, you know I've been in this league a long time. Uh, that's one of the better ones I've I've seen. I know coming in here, just watching this, these first few outings, he's been really good. Do you, at the end of a night like that, try to find things that your guys could have done differently, or did you just say, hey, it didn't matter what we did tonight. Uh, that guy was gonna was gonna beat us. Yeah, you, you you go out there, you, you give it all, you give it your best. You know, I know the guys were, were like I said, they were, they were trying. Um, it was just good. I mean, you know, you get tip your hat off some days, and come back tomorrow and get ready for tomorrow. And it's not like national starter Eric Fetty had a bad outing. Far from it, actually. For a while, he was kind of going pitch for pitch with Degrom, getting a lot of ground ball outs. This game was moving along early with all the great pitching. 
Uh, Fetty did run into some trouble, giving up three runs in the fifth, including an RBI to DeGrom. But it didn't matter who was pitching for the Nationals because the guy pitching for the Mets was just that good. The box score, DeGrom improved to 2-1. and one. Fetty fell to 1-2. and two. Zero runs, two hits, zero errors for the Nats. Six runs, 11 hits, zero errors for the Mets. Kyle Finnegan had a scoreless inning of relief out of the bullpen. And Austin Voth and Kyle McGowan combined to give up the last three runs. The good news heading into Game 2 on Saturday was, of course, that Jacob DeGrom was not pitching for the Mets. However, Marcus Stroman was, and he had been no less effective over his first three starts, going 3-0 with an 0-90 ERA, allowing just 10 hits and two runs over 20 innings. So Dave Martinez tried something new with his lineup, and why not, right? After Friday night's drubbing, a couple of guys were slumping and no Juan Soto. Davey tried to stack as many lefties as he could in the lineup, even without Soto, uh, liking their chances against the right-handed Stroman. The scorching hot Josh Harrison bat leadoff. Yadiel Hernandez got a rare start playing right field and batting second. Trey Turner, Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber, and Starling Castro were three through six. And then catcher Alex Avila and center fielder Andrew Stevenson hit ahead of Joe Ross, the starting pitcher. Before the game, Davey charged this lineup to score early and take some pressure off Joe Ross. And they did just that, scoring the game's first run two batters and four pitches into the game. They were off and running from there. They batted Stroman for eight hits, five runs, four earned over just four innings and 72 pitches as the Nats would go on to win 7-1. to one. And you have to wonder if facing DeGrom the night before when he's on fire like that makes it easier to face whoever's next. Like, as a batter, the mindset has to be something like, well, at least we're not seeing that again, right? Davey Martinez kind of echoed that sentiment and uh, was proud of the way his boys bounced back on Saturday. Yeah, it, it worked out well. I mean, uh, good team effort. You know, Yachty drives in the first run. Um, but, you know, the boys bounced back well today after 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 yesterday. Uh, they came back today ready to play like they always do. So, um, you know, Joe Joe was really good as well. Um, threw the ball really well. Like I said, when, when, when he commands the strike zone, he gets the ball down. Um, he's he's, he's going to do good. So, you know, I'm, I'm good to see that he bounced back after his last outing. When a pitcher um, does what DeGrom did last night, it wouldn't be hard to imagine that maybe like that could get into hitters' heads and they could try to do too much. So what do you think was the key um, for the Nationals just to like stay simple and play their own game? Yeah, you know, we, hey, we put that one behind us. Hey, like I talk about, you know, every day. So can't do nothing about the past, you know, just got to move forward and, uh, these guys did that today. Uh, we had good at-bats today. Uh, we made Stroman throw strikes. We got the ball up um, at times, so uh, we put the ball in play. So it was, it was a good all-around day. Meanwhile, on the mound for the Nats, Joe Ross returned to form, hopefully putting that Cardinal star behind him for good. He pitched six innings of one-run ball, giving up just five hits and issuing a walk while striking out four on 91 pitches. His season stats are a little skewed thanks to that one start versus St. Louis last week. But three of his four starts now have been excellent, and hopefully that's what the Nats see more often than not for the rest of the season. Box score, Joe Ross is now 2-1, Stroman 3-1, seven runs, 10 hits, zero errors for the Nats, one run, six hits, one error for the Mets. And then looking at the rest of the box score, who didn't contribute for the Nats? Oh, literally no one. Every batter for the Nats got on base and added offense in this one, even Ross and pinch hitter Victor Robles. Yadiel Hernandez had a big game in his rare start. He went two for four with two RBIs and a run scored. Kyle Schwarber added two hits in an RBI. Josh Bell scored two runs, drew a walk, and hustled to beat out a double play ball. 
Those two outings by those guys hopefully can help them break out of the slumps they've been in over the past week or so. So keep an eye on that in Sunday's finale and as we move on to the Blue Jays series this week. And out of the bullpen on Saturday, Kyle Finnegan, Sam Clay, and Paolo Espino combined for three scoreless innings and only one hit and one walk. Sunday's finale should have brought some optimism for the Nats heading into this game after Saturday's offensive explosion off a pitcher they've rarely seen and now facing another pitcher they've rarely seen in Taiwan Walker. And of course, Patrick Corbin hopefully building off his strong start against the Cardinals from earlier this week. But it wasn't meant to be as they were shut out for nothing to drop this series at Citi Field in New York thanks to self-inflicted errors and another not-so-great pitching performance by Corbin. Let's start with the pitching, and I want to preface this by saying while Corbin did not have a good outing by any stretch of the imagination, this loss isn't entirely on him. Can't entirely put the finger on him for this. Uh, His first two starts absolutely were his fault. Uh, Of course, he pitched much better in his third. Uh, But before we start pointing all the fingers right at Patrick Corbin, I, I want to say, and I'll explain it a little bit, why this was not all on Corbin. But yeah, it wasn't great for him. He got hit for four runs, seven hits, and three walks in just four innings, 79 pitches. He also had three strikeouts on the afternoon and gave up home runs to J.D. Davis and Pete Alonzo. He left a slider up and in on J.D. Davis, which you can't do, obviously. And then he also grooved the fastball to the polar bear for a deep home run. Uh, He struggled locating his fastball from the get-go. His slider wasn't as sharp as we saw it last time out. And uh, his line actually could have been a lot worse if not for a nice catch in left field by Kyle Schwarber and some fortunate strike calls later later in his outing. But like I said, it wasn't all on Corbin. The offense made a lot of mistakes too. Some more base running errors, which are getting even increasingly frustrating for this ball club. One in particular by Victor Robles uh, killed some rallies early. Robles got called out trying to stretch a double into a triple, getting thrown out at third, which of course you know is a big no no. Um, and, and baseball rules, uh, unwritten rules. Uh, they lined some balls out right to Mets uh, uh, infielders all afternoon, uh, giving them easy outs, just not hitting them where they ain't. Kind of a sloppy outing all around for the Nationals, who ended up 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position, position and left seven runners on base. Davey Martinez trying to put this one af- into words after the game. No, I mean, we hit some balls good. Uh, you know, we couldn't get no balls to fall. I mean, Schwarber had some good at bats. I thought. Josh Bell had some good at-bats, lined out a couple of times. John had some good at-bats, so um, nothing fell for us on the other side. You know, um, you know, Corbin fell behind, you know, a couple of hitters, the walks, and then the homers, you know, beat us today. So, um, you know, but we got to keep – we got to stick with it. We got to keep swinging the bats. I saw some positives in our, our bats today. I mean, like I said, we hit some balls hard. So, uh we got to keep playing hard and come back. You know, we got day off tomorrow, come back Tuesday. The Nats have now been shut out five times in 19 games this season, the most of any team in the majors. Another important note was Trey Turner leaving early in this one, one inning after he was struck by a pitch in the left forearm. Davey Martinez saying x-rays were negative. He's being diagnosed with a contusion, and the Nats are hopeful that Turner can play Tuesday against the Blue Jays. The box score, Taiwan Walker is now 1-1 one and one on the season. Patrick Corbin falls to 0-3. Zero runs, five hits, zero errors for the Nats. Four runs, eight hits, zero errors for the Mets. Yadiel Hernandez had another great day at the plate in his second straight start, going two for two with two walks. And out of the bullpen, Austin Voth pitched three scoreless innings with four Ks, and Tanner Rainey pitched a scoreless eighth. The Nats are now 8-11 on the season, last in the National League East, but still only two games back of the Mets, who are in first place. On to Dunedin, Florida, to face the Toronto Blue Jays, as they are not yet cleared to play in Canada yet. Let's take a look at the opposite dugout. 
The Toronto Blue Jays are managed by Charlie Montoyo in his third season. They are 10-11, and 11, currently third in the American League East, three games back from the Red Sox. Over their last 10 games, they are 5-5. Five and five. And up until yesterday, the only series they've won this season have been against the Yankees, but they are now coming off a series win in Tampa. Of course, this is the first meeting against the Nationals this season. Last year, they tied the series 2-2. Two two. Remember, that was the weird four games at Nationals Park at the beginning of the season where the Blue Jays won the first two games as the visitors, and then the Nationals won the next two games technically as the visitors, but still in D.C. Pitching probables for this two-game set. Max Scherzer will face right-hander Trent Thornton in what will be a bullpen game for the Blue Jays, 7.07 p.m. on Masson 2, and then Wednesday night's finale, Eric Fetty versus left-hander Steven Matz, 7.07 Masson 2. The Blue Jays were very active this offseason trying to build on a team that snuck into the 18 postseason last year. They re-signed starter Robbie Ray after acquiring him via trade with the D-backs. They landed outfielder George Springer on a six-year deal worth a club record $150 million in free agency. They also traded four young right-handers for Wednesday's starter Steven Matz from the Mets, and they signed second baseman Marcus Semien to a one-year $18 million deal. So the Jays are trying to tell the baseball world that their rebuild is ahead of schedule and they are ready to contend right now. Though they went out and got Springer in free agency, he hasn't made his Blue Jays debut just yet. He's been out with a quadriceps injury, landing him on the IL to start the season. He's been playing in inter-squad games recently, so the Blue Jays are actually been pretty optimistic over this past weekend that he will be ready to return in time to face the Nationals this week. Fellow outfielder Tiasco Hernandez has also been out over the past two weeks following a positive COVID-19 test. He's been cleared to return to the team facilities but needs time to build back up before rejoining the team. As for the guys on the active roster, this lineup is pretty good at hitting the long ball. Middle infielders Bo Bichette and Simeon have each hit four home runs and at least 10 RBIs, though Simeon hasn't been hitting it for average and Bichette is hitting just 250. Randall Gritchick and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. each have four home runs and at least 12 RBIs, while both hitting around 300. Vladdy Jr. actually leads the team with a 338 average. Looks like the Jays are trying to go for a bullpen game in Tuesday's series opener. They're sending out right-hander Trent Thornton to start the game. He did the same thing in his last outing against Boston, pitching two scoreless innings in an eventual 6-3 win for the Blue Jays. He has proven to be a strong long man out of the Jays' pen. He's going over an, an inning in each of his six outings this season with a 1.86 ERA. The 27-year-old uh, right-hander gave up just one run over four innings last year against the Nats, his only time facing Washington in his young career. Wednesday starter Steven Matz is off to a very strong start to this season. He perhaps just needed a change of scenery out of New York after going 0-5 with a career-worst 9.68 ERA in nine games, six starts in 2020. The Mets lost every game he started or appeared in last year. And in four starts this year, he's much improved at 4-0 and with a 2.31 ERA and 25 strikeouts to just eight walks. He's gone at least five innings in each of his starts, and over his first three, he went at least six innings, giving up just one run in each. And he got hit for three runs and five on Friday in Tampa Bay, but still earned the W. Of course, the Southpaw has faced the Nationals a lot over his career, thanks to his time with the Mets, but he's never had a lot of success. He's just 1-7 with a 4.83 ERA in 15 games, 14 starts versus the Nationals, and last year he was 0-2 with an 11.25 ERA in five games, four starts, giving up 25 runs in just 31 innings versus D.C.
Out of the bullpen, Jays relievers are posting the best bullpen ERA in baseball at 210. Left-hander Tim Iza and right-handers Anthony Castro, Julian Merriweather, and Tyler Chatwood have all yet to allow a run this season. All have at least four outings, and one has at least nine, um, and they've yet to allow a run over their respective outings, while former Marlin, Philly, and Cub righty David Phelps has a 1-2-3 ERA in eight outings. An old friend, Tanner Roark, is just 0-1 with a 6-4-3 ERA in three appearances, one start with the Blue Jays. He still hasn't been able to recapture that magic he had in his 2014 and 2016 seasons with the Nationals. So it'll be kind of nice to see Tanner again. Uh, I know Nationals fans really enjoyed Tanner Roark with his time uh, with the, uh, with the Nationals. So it'll be good to see him again if he's able to get in a couple of outings uh, in this season, uh, this series rather. Again, these games will be played in Dunedin, Florida at TD Ballpark, the home of the Blue Jays during spring training. They will be about 23% capacity, about 1,900 people in the stands at their spring training facility for these two games. That's going to do it for this series recap. Be sure to tune into this J series on Mass in 2, Tuesday and Wednesday. And be sure to check out Dan Coco filling in for Bob Carpenter, who's just taking some personal time off to celebrate his daughter's birthday. Dan will be on play-by-play duties alongside FP Santangelo. And Alex Chappell will be back for pregame and postgame shows and, of course, chiming in during the game broadcast. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Mass and All Access Podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And check out our live podcast, myself and Amy Jennings, on Monday afternoon on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. We'll be talking greater uh, discussions around the Nationals, more broad, broader topics and not individual games. Uh, so looking forward to that. And of course, follow at Masson Nationals on all social media accounts and check out Mark Zuckerman's coverage on MassonSports.com. I myself will actually be filling in for Mark Zuckerman on Tuesday for Tuesday night's game. So you can check out my work on MassonSports.com on Tuesday. And Mark will be back for Wednesday's finale. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco on Twitter. Give me a follow. Uh, our next episode will drop Thursday, recapping this Blue Jays two-game set and looking ahead to the Nationals returning home to face the Marlins. Until then, enjoy the games, and we'll talk to you later. <laughs>